I can tell by how many of you are in the chat right now that you're actually all in the mosaic arc for for kilts and she's not here and so where is everyone <laughs> so kilts is taking a much needed um rest holiday and I, I i hear she's in a caravan somewhere in the countryside in australia which is a very appropriate place for a pigeon to take a little rest so here i am still in my city dwelling and thinking about what it means to be talking to you all here with my microphone into the ether and um that of course gives me you know starting to think about marshall McLuhan again and our media problems and the power of um radio and why kanye west got into so much trouble for mentioning that certain person who may have made use of a microphone and of course we're going to end up with sauron and tolkien so this is actually a tolkien stream i don't know why you all aren't here already welcome to the mosaic arc Yeah, I'm actually glad to see that you guys really prefer the pair of us because I don't like doing this on my own. <laughs> I like having someone to talk to and I find it, it's like it's 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 like when I'm, I'm better off when I'm in a class and I have an audience to talk to and I am really wondering how I managed to make all those videos for unauthorized in medieval history and then in the, the Forge of Tolkien when I was just talking to you conceptually and hoping that everyone was listening. So this is... This is a kind of media moment um, of, of my own, whether I can like keep looking at the camera rather than keep looking at the chat and hoping someone is asking me some hard questions. But, but since I know you need some warming up first to get some, you know, good questions boiling away in your, in your minds and stuff, I thought I'd, you know, get myself in more trouble because <laughs> I seem to do that. So I am told by little birds on the internet and by, you know, hits on my blog and stuff like that, that there's been a certain degree of interest in some of the blog posts that I've put up in the last year, which is kind of, you know, incredible in itself because I really haven't been blogging very much this year. I've been talking to you all in, in, the, in, in the Mosaic Arc and hoping by way of using this audio medium this is audio visual medium but this audio medium rather than the visual medium of writing to be able to convey some of the things that i found difficult to get people to literally hear when i only write them but of course back in back in the autumn when kilts and i were talking about yay's comments 
about the media. <laughs> can, can I just say it like that? I mean, we, w- we were trying to put things in context that we heard as Christians, as we heard as, you know, American and Australian across the conversations that we'd have been having about, um, you know, Christianity and what we heard Ye saying about that and, you know, showing you what Ari Shafir said about what he heard about Ye saying. And I needed to make some kind of a comment back. It, it's down on the blog in, I think, December after Ye went on Infowars and costumed himself in a particular way and then got photoshopped into a picture of the Oval Office. And I saw that image as quite resonant. And I, I do mean that orally. I saw, I saw it as quite resonant for the kind of things that we, Kiltz and I have been trying to talk about in terms of media effects, um, that they're, they're um, Mr. West. And I, I'm so fascinated. His name is West, right? He's <laughs> talking about the Western civilized, Western world. And his name is West. How, you know, how is, how is that real? It, it sounds like a stage name. So He's, he's sitting there in the Oval Office with a hostage mask on. And as I see it, and as I've been trying to, you know, explain things out in the world for some time now, we are being held hostage in the West by a number of different stories that we live in. Um, I'm, I'm preparing tonight to, get, 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 you know, get back on a plane again. I hope Southwest is flying on its usual schedule tomorrow. Um, to go to a fencing tournament for the first time in three years. And I realize that in all of the time that we've been doing all of this work in Telegram and the Dragon Common Room, certainly in the Mosaic Arc, I haven't been to a tournament. I was a fencer from 2003 to 2019. I, I've, you know, fenced set, you know, th- at least three national tournaments every year for decades nearly decades and then suddenly it was all gone and and here we were here I was sitting talking to the world through a camera having my classes on zoom three years ago this spring I was teaching my Tolkien class that cycle has come back around I'm teaching Tolkien again and I was thinking about the power of the ring and the power that Sauron exercised over Middle Earth and what that taught me about what was happening to us three years ago, because I'm sure you all are now forgetting because memory is like this, but three years ago, we were suddenly told that we couldn't go outside anymore. <laughs> couldn't go to campus. Couldn't I couldn't collect my books from campus because we were not allowed on campus because we had to sit at home talking to each other through the internet. And, you know, being told that there was a deadly, a deadly virus out there that if we dared to step outside without a mask on, would kill us all. I mean, the, the, the sort of astonishing level of fear that we were living through. I, I blogged about that at the time because I had been meditating already about the sort of magical effects of this, this narrative that we were, we were suddenly caught inside of about a virus from bats. I've been I've been joking with my friend, my my undergraduates all through winter quarter about don't eat don't eat bat soup because I did not believe the wet market story even then. Um, we won't go into what I believe now about exactly the transmission, but you know I doubt they're good guys in in simple terms on any in any of these stories. And you know, so I was a. It's it's interesting coming back around in this cycle, and I finally get to go to a tournament again, and I'm teaching Tolkien again, and here I am, 
thinking about the power that Sauron had to cast fear. And so when I was writing about what I saw Ye doing and the, the, the fear that I saw people participating in, so a lot of this was on my mind, obviously. Um, also what was on my mind is the way in which, indeed three years ago, when I was teaching Eurosiv and we'd been talking about the French Revolution and World War One and then World War Two and the horrors of World War Two and what happened. And you're always wondering, aren't you? Aren't you? You should be. You should be. Um wondering and I've I've got I've got text messages coming in. I need to turn my phone off. Oh no, it is off. I know it's okay. Um don't be interrupting me with other media right now. I've I've got to be thinking about this. Um we need to understand how we got caught up in these these spells, right? And I heard Mr. West. I, I'm going to call him Mr. West now because I think that's the, the right thing. It's like it's, it's like um, Reservoir Dogs, which I never saw, but what Mr. Pink and Mr. White and Mr. Orange and who knows Mr. West. <laughs> He's a performer. He's used to using a microphone to amplify his voice to have different effects on people's attention because of the amplification of his body's ability to make language and sound and music and so forth. And one of the things he said in that fateful appearance on media was about the microphone and who made it the, what it was and why it was so popular. And of course, if you say that, then the whole world explodes because I say we are in it still. We're in that media moment that created the horrors of the Second World War. Um, if you want, and I know you all want because you're good people and you want to not be the bad people. If you want not to end up in that situation again, we need to be mindful of the way we use our, our media. We need. To, I wanted to like finesse that a little bit more. It's like we need to be mindful of the way we use our tools and our greatest tools. What Marshall McLuhan always talked about in the sense of our media, they're extensions of our nervous system and our physical abilities and everything that we do, projecting ourselves out into the world through our tools, through rocks and blades and um, textiles and paper and roads and ships and railroads, and telegraph, and radio. And I'm really, really angry that people keep misunderstanding me because I have been very clear in my speech throughout all of this, in radio, into the internet, you need to understand how they work, right? And, and you know, Kilt and I, we've, we're making this mosaic arc. We chose the metaphor of the arc because we recognize that we're in a flood right now. We're in, you know, civilization is, is floundering. We're in terrible danger. Uh, we, we, we played off a lot of, um, you know, imagery of pirates and pirates sailing on the seas. And that's fun and everything. But we mean, we mean that we're in the ark. We mean you need to be in the ark, in the boat, that the ship of the church that's going to survive the flood again. And so our, our, our um, title here is Mosaic Ark. And that's meant to have lots of layers. If people would only listen to me, they'd get all the layers all the time that I'm always speaking in because I speak in myth. We're in the 
the the mosaic ark the ark of the covenant that was shown to moses on the mountain that carries the tablets that carries the presence that you know the presence manifests in the temple we're also in the ark of uh the mosaic right the the patterns and and um, images and stories that we're collecting from all around the internet right that's a, my my pigeon my dear my dear sweet beloved pigeon is all collecting more stories right now right it's like we're always looking for the the hints of the that that thing it's not the man behind the curtain right it's not, it's not really wizard of oz the man behind the curtain it's the and I mean, it could be the dragon breaking through. It's the reality breaking through everywhere that we are trying to show you by way of our conversations here, by way of our writing, by way of, of, of all of the art that we're working with, where to, to sense the reality of the myth that we're, we're sailing through, right? And in that, we have both the historical arc that Moses made on the, you know, with the instructions that he got on the mountain, that he carries in the wilderness that is taken by David um, to Jerusalem, which is housed in the temple that Solomon built. That's the historical ark, right? We also have, this was the allegorical ark, the, the thing that the, the images and patterns and everything that we're collecting through. That it's gonna... And we likewise have, I suppose this one's the anagogical ark. I don't know. It's the incarnational ark. It's Mary. She is the ark that carries all of these stories and truths and mythologies for us because she is the temple through whom Christ became incarnate in the world. And insofar as we have been constantly for you working on all of these levels, you must recognize that when I say Mr. West sits on a desk in the midst of a story and I say this is very true and we are caught in this story, I mean it on these levels so there's a historical level there's an allegorical level there's a moral level a tropological you know it's a tropological level and there's a contemplative level and i'm begging you please listen to me long enough to hear all of that right so thinking about rings and power and mythologies and narratives and the way that they carry carry us into um the dramas that we find ourselves in how did sauron do it <laughs> so tolkien gets very very upset in the preface the, the preface to the second edition of the lord of the rings when people are saying oh well it must have been you know it's world war ii it must have been the atomic bomb right there's some kind of tech out there that if only you know the good guys had gotten a hold of then wait we we were the good guy. we uh, we did have the atomic bomb and we did use it the the good guys um tolkien said no that's not the ring the ring is something else the ring is addictive well yes no i mean it's it's something that draws you in that you become in case, you know, first your will, Frodo has the will to take it on and off, and then it, it later, the, the more it takes hold of him, he can't will himself off. I mean, it sounds a lot like addiction, but it's not quite a, you know, substance you ingest, so it doesn't feel like it's a physical addiction. It's somehow something that captures your will and makes you want to be in control of other people's wills, right? Which is what, when Sauron made the ring, he said, you know, one ring to rule them all, one ring to to, to find them wondering to bring them all and in the darkness bind them 
If we follow Marshall McLuhan's suggestions to be thinking on multiple levels of, of meaning, as he does in his study of medieval education, the trivium, and he thinks in these terms, he thinks like I do in the, in the, in the, the grammatical, poetical, symbolic levels of story that we're caught in. And McLuhan is actually writing this dissertation at about the same time. He's in Cambridge. Tolkien is in Oxford. That Tolkien is writing The Lord of the Rings. You realize we're catching something of the moment in the 40s. They're both sensing power of some sort. What is it, right? What was Sauron's magic? Well, I'm freaking out right now, and I posted a picture on my Telegram before I went online right now to say, here, look, I'm looking at it, right? I've got my ring <laughs> of fire through which I'm staring to talk to you. And it looks so, so very much like a ring, an eye that I look into and I realize it, it, people have gotten upset with me over the last several years saying, you, as a tenured professor from the University of Chicago, how dare you use your platform to speak? And I, I started thinking about that. I was thinking, platform, platform, platform. They're mad. They're angry. People, some people, a few people. Some people like it, right? But people are uh, upset with me because I use my platform to amplify my ability to make comments. And it's amplification, right? That there's a, there's a fear and a terror in what some of those of us who have been able to capture some audience's attention in the internet context are able to do. You're starting to see we're, we're, we're already in this. So it's like if, if you wonder how we were all brought under the ring three years ago and then we were all thrown on Zoom and then we had to learn to talk to cameras at each other and feel part of this interesting extension of our nervous system that we call the internet, right? That we extend our well, they're virtual voices because they're electronically modulated into digits and then transmitted on, on light beams somehow, ultra light beams into the Ethernet. And that we have the illusion of participating in a conversation with each other. Well, we're kind of one of the things that McLuhan understood about media is that we're in it like that. You don't appreciate its effects. You feel its power. And you know it's out there somehow designing reality around you. I mean, like stories do that. I've been talking about the multiple layers of meaning in scripture, effectively, history, allegory, tropology, anagogy, and the multiple levels of experience that we have when we're trying to participate in those stories because we are in time, we are in meaning and allegory, we are in a, you know, a drama of choices, our morality, and we are being pointed to heaven in some way so we're like our whole life is at multiple layers it's not just texts that do that right our entire life is at multiple layers that you are aware somehow of being in all of this being affected by it and yet it's simply there oh good there are a few more of you now <laughs> Okay, class. And I realized that one of the problems for me with you know, streaming like this is your comments are, are delayed to what I am thinking about because it takes a while for the internet to feed this all to you, right? Um, let's, let's see what you've been saying. Okay, so um, welcome. Welcome, everybody. Casey, hat hair, Vermacht bear. Okay, here's some company. Thank you, Vermacht bear. 
Um, Casey, I never believed the bat story either. People have been eating bat forever. I, I, I mean, it was, it was interesting that they had bat soup anyway, right? It's like, a silent Draco, good evening all. Um, Casey, Sauron overwhelmed people's senses, quite, kind of like 24-7 mass media. Yes, and, and, and yet there is a very specific key to the kind of media I think Tolkien realized he was thinking about, but he wasn't able to name it because, as McLuhan points out, we're not usually able to name the media that's shaping all of our, 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 our experience. Casey, would you say Orwell? Yes, 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 you've got it, yes. Casey, would you say Orwell was tapping into the same wavelength as Tolkien and Lewis? Yes, absolutely. There's also an Orson Welles in, in all of this. Silent Draco. Saruman's voice. Yes, Saruman tempted and guiled others. Okay, so we're getting there. We're getting there. Now, remember what Ye said. <laughs> that particular person who's famous for using one of these invented. Now, he's Ye was Mr. West. I should say Mr. West. Mr. West was wrong about said certain certain person actually inventing it, but it was true that this certain person who was the leader of a certain party, um, that they they made very you know powerful use of a particular kind of technology um, called a blue. All right, it's a blue. It's a it's a microphone. Right. And, and, and Mr. West actually said that something to the lines of so-and-so invented it. Well, he didn't. He didn't invent it. But these bottle mics, actually, it's not blue. It's a bottle mic, right? These bottle, this one's a blue. <laughs> the bottle mic was the, the most, like, I, I guess it was the technologically most sophisticated microphone of the day. And they use it, of course, to transmit by radio. What is Sauron's tower? I know it's, it's going to destroy it all. It's like collapsing in the, the allegory and the myth and everything. It's a radio tower. <laughs> and therefore, anybody who's watching this, when I published it, will see the cover the cover that uh, No Easy very nicely made for me when I was meditating about all this. It's like Sauron's tower is a microphone. It, it's interesting that Tolkien describes it as an eye that seems to be seeing everything, but the surround, the, the sort of feeling of being utterly surrounded by Sauron's attention, it's less visual and much more auditory. If, as you do, uh, you, you take the way Marshall McLuhan talks about the differences between, for example, print and, and, and our electronic media, but very particularly the radio, that print media for example, my blog, even though you read it on a screen and it's light, that you know, digital light and things like that. So McLuhan would say there's other things going on there than just with a, a paper page with ink on it. But print visual training takes creates one kind of engagement and and intimacy and and sort of um, feeling of individuality. Right. One of the things that that McLuhan talks about is the way the print revolution created. Um, the sense of privacy that we have tended to value in the in the modern world that you you with a book are by yourself it's quiet you are scanning the lines of the text and it's it's, it's training your attention and your mind in particular ways the radio in particular b destroys all of that because the radio comes to you from everywhere right it ought, if you're in if you're in in projected sound um, which a radio does, you are 
um, in in an environment that suddenly like the, to, everywhere like a visual environment you have to be looking at a particular you know stimulus a picture or the, the text or something like that but radio is completely immersive in a complete uh, a, a totally different sensory experience and what McLuhan understood I think accurately is that that kind of experience drops you into a whole different sense of community belonging and um, both intimacy because it particularly it's like we listen to things in our headphones now if you listen if you right now are listening to me speaking through my blue mic into the internet on headphones you're all by yourself right you're very very private you're very closed in if you let the the speakers on your devices play my voice out then other people in the room would also experience it but there's there's both an intimacy a, a direction a you know sort of like i speak directly to you your ears and and this is where it got it gets very frightening and sort of powerful in the the terrifying way that we all need to understand sorrow unable to, to to affect us it it absorbs you into the group of the vernacular but there's that's a fancy way of saying what McLuhan actually described the effects of the radio he said it was tribal and in in um in understanding media, he has he has a description of what he thinks of radio as um, as as a media, the the sort of forms that it it takes and the the expects that it has, and he calls it explicitly the tribal drum, right? That the 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 radio has this um, collective effect. The people participating in listening to the radio feel themselves caught up both in um, the, the sort of each other's experience in this way. And also he, he says it intensifies a great deal more the vernacular. And I, I, I made some notes for myself to set this up for you. But the problem with talking about talking with McLuhan, how long did I talk in that particular mon half an hour monologue? Yeah, I can do this without Kilt's helping me. <laughs> um, that that whole monologuing that I was doing to sort of get you into this sinuosity of the way the radio dragon c captures you in and you have to be listening and listening and listening and focusing and kind of like blending you in and you know you're, that is the way McLuhan reads you know and that's I think why for those who are not as familiar as I am with things like the medieval four layer four senses of scripture and the the effects of rhetoric and the, don't get as much out of reading McLuhan as I do because it, it's it's sort of patterning of experience that if if you're mainly trained in in the literate context is very hard to to to, to grasp but if you're not aware of the way our new media has been changing us it, it either seems horrifying or obvious. And, and it's interesting which one it is, you know, it's like whether you're, you think, oh yeah, of course what she's saying, it make, makes absolute sense because we, you know, we're used to being on the internet. Or as I'm finding when I talk to colleagues in academia and I think I've explained myself and they say, no, you've, you know, said this thing that I never actually said. Um, we're, we're, you know, in these clashing traditions of training our, our attention into the, the media. Anyway, some text to, to help ground this a little bit. Now, the first, my first reading, we have some readings now. 
so let me let me catch up with what you guys have been chatting so um silent draco thinking about saruman a similar wavelength casey different process similar end yeah mal synesthesia so you know i i wonder which McLuhan with his media understanding was always that media intensify certain parts of our sensory and motor abilities and 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 obsolesce or weaken others so with reading you lose your auditory because it's silent and you're visually focused with these auditory electronic media particularly with the radio people well he he has some pretty powerful stuff i have in the passages that you basically lose your ability to to make that kind of rational judgment anymore which is why it worked so powerfully in 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 the in the 40s um silent draco says broadcast to those able to receive but the rings were transceivers responding to sauron I, you know i think i i'll be interested once i've laid this out and 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 i and i'm gonna ask you guys to, to help me see whether i've <laughs> said something meaningful um yeah i think i mean i i think tolkien definitely played with the problem the idea of of um what are basically now our our phones or tablets with the palantir i mean those are round but he they you can see far in them palantir is far seen but you don't necessarily know whether you can trust what you're seeing in them so that's that's kind of prophetic um you know they could cheer you up they can make you feel like you're in con contact with each other but they could show you dreams or fantasies or things that never will happen if the rings if the rings are working in this kind of radio auditory way that that would be interesting anyway okay so my first reading is from Marshall McLuhan and Quentin Fiore's second book. Uh, their first one was The Medium is the Message. And it's it's interesting because it's like text with memes. It's already, they're already trying to do this meme thing. And I'm flipping through this one, which is War and Peace in the Global Village. And of course, I find a um, picture of radios. There's the radios right there. And I said, aha, this is where I need to be. Um, and here he is, of course, talking about the wars that and and the technologies that drove them and he, he starts with saying that the civil war the american civil war was a was a railroad war um that um and that the american civil war was the first railway war the mobilization of men and materials took on a brand new character which was carefully studied by general staffs of the european countries railways were an incidental accompaniment of industrialization and the quest for raw materials and market alike all the industrial features were then extended to war, and just as every citizen had been a worker, every citizen became a soldier. Previous wars had had no such scope. Um, the First World War was also a railway war, enormously exaggerated in scope and destruction by the extension of industrialism and the enlargement of cities. It was a war of massed armies, massed guns. At the Battle of the Somme, the Germans brought 6,000 cannon into place simultaneously. I mean, Tolkien was at the Battle of the Somme, so he, as a signal officer, right? So he was actually thinking about transmission media as his friends were dying in the, in the trenches, right? So the, the Battle of the Somme, in, in McLuhan's understanding, it's like the railways give a particular character to both the Civil War and the First World War. The Second World War was a radio war as much as it was an industrial war. And I, 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 you know, I starting to recognize people have been noticing these things for a while. And I, I, you know, say, well, as medievalist, I maybe haven't thought about them, but the degree to which the media shape the kinds of conflicts we've been in, obviously we've been talking in our internet 
context about how we're in an information war now or an economic war and such. Well, the Second World War was a radio war. The radio phase of electronics had awakened the tribal energies and visions of the European peoples in a way that television is now doing to America. Um, he was writing in the 60s, so he's saying that, you know, the sort of frenzy of the awakening that we see happening in World War II um, is thanks to the radio. And, and he does have a, he has a, a, a theory about why the radio doesn't affect the United States in the same way it affects Europe, because he says, unlike Europe, America has no tribal past, or at least the non-native America, I suppose. Radio thus did not appeal to any distant images of tribal unity and strength. It awakened the energy energies of the Negro and enabled him to dominate the culture of the 1920s in the United States through his tribal songs and dances. I mean, I'm interested that, of course, Ye, as a black musician, is tapping into some of these things that, that the rest of the media conversation doesn't seem to have noticed. Like, he makes music, for goodness sake, in the American tradition of rap and gospel, you know, that go, goes back to, therefore, the jazz of the, of the 20s. And so whatever we are as, as a country, um, acoustically has played out in, in these registers. And elsewhere, McLuhan talks about how um, America wasn't affected by the radio in the same way Europe was in the sense of finding these tribal folk pasts that the, the Germans tapped into with their radio listening. And I think he means also with the Italians and the, the um, English. It's like everybody in, in Europe is affected because they have a, a, a sort of tribal memory of themselves, whereas the United States doesn't except for in the South. And so both in our literature and in our music get that radio effect, but otherwise apparently not, but we can argue that. Okay. When the war babies and the jazz babies reached the job plateau in the late 1920s, they rejected the goals and objectives of their elders sufficiently to create an economic slump. <laughs> so the depression caused by jazz, um, but also radio jazz, their tribalism, I suppose. Of course, it was as nothing compared to the present slump that is just beginning with the aid of television. The radio slump or depression of 1929 to 1939 was the result of switching the vision of a whole population from visually conceived objectives to the total field of polarized energies that automatically goes with radio and auditory space. Um, he talks a little bit about the United States as visually organized and being labeled and everything, um, and and the, the effect that it had on, uh, that radio had on us. Okay, so, so that, that first claim, that the Second World War was a radio war, right? Everybody with me? Tokyo Rose, her legend still lingers 80 years later. Yes. Okay, so we've got the, the now we need to think, so what does it mean to say it's a radio war? Well, he has, he has this very, again, McLuhan's frustrating because he's like flashes of insight and you have to put them all together and you hope that, you hope that it all comes together. I had notes, okay. So the Second World War is a radio war. Radio is tribal, it's auditory, not visual. Um, and it, it, it will affect different cultures that it's introduced into depending on their previous situation as well. Okay, so what does radio do? Well, it's tribal. We say it's tribal drums. And he says this, um, England and America had their shots against radio in the form of long exposure to literacy and industrialism. Okay, so he has, says England's different, but 
these forms involve an intense visual organization of experience. The more earthy, so uh, the more this I love this. He's Canadian, right? He did study in England, and he's he's got this this very you know sort of primitive it's like primitive well earthy and tribal vision of the rest of Europe, but whatever. The um, the more earthy and less visual European cultures were not immune to radio. Its tribal magic was not lost on them, and the old web of kinship began to re resonate once more with the note of fascism. Now, so I, I do because even though I'm a medievalist, I actually know a little bit about modern history. And in my History of European Civilization section, we read, for example, the Mussolini's chapter in his encyclopedia on fascism. And with the Italians, you know, they're very much um, fixed on, it's fasces, it's the, 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 the Roman, you know, sort of tradition that they want to tie back themselves back into their own Italian history. And you know that Italian fascism was was this this goal of coming Rome again. Obviously, Kiltz and I alluded or talked we talked directly, but not extensively about um, the way the Italians tried to take over Ethiopia <laughs> uh, and and failed. Um, that you know they do have this imperial goal as the other totalitarian states did. Um, but that Italian fascism is very focused on their sense of being Roman um, in, in a long tradition. So that, that, that old web of kinship and fascism. I, I, it's funny to think, Kilts actually, as Pigeon, keeps me better on track with, than I can do it by myself. I, I'm starting now to think about all of the ways in which uh, Italy wasn't Italy until it was invented in the 19th century too. So it's a fictional place with lots of different regions. Anyway, okay. The inability of literate people to grasp the language and message of the media as such is involuntarily conveyed by the comments of sociologist Paul Lazersfeld in discussing the effects of radio. Um, and here we have something about monopolies. Yes, okay, so th this actually, we're feeding into why, why the Second World War again, right? Um, the last group of, this is Paul Lazersfeld, the last group of effects may be called the monopolistic effects of radio. Such as attracted most public attention because of their importance in the totalitarian countries. If a government monopolizes the radio, then by mere repetition and by exclusion of conflicting points of view, it can determine the opinions of the population. You see, all of these worries that we have about, you know, controlling the platforms and the government being in control of the media, the, Understanding Media was published when? Uh, he died in 1980, so this has to be 1964, right? Guys, wake up. We're still in the same story, <laughs> right? So if a government monopolizes the radio, then by mere repetition and by exclusion of conflicting points of view, it can determine the opinions of the population. We do not know much about how this monopolistic effect really works, but it is important to note its singularity. No inference should be drawn regarding the effects of radio as such. It's, it's not the media, uh, as it were, although McLuhan, of course, says, no, it is actually the media. But we're sort of trying to understand why you can control a population with this particular extension of our nervous systems called, called radio. It is often forgotten that Hitler did not achieve control through radio, but almost despite it, because at the time of his rise to power, radio was controlled by his enemies. The monopolistic effects have probably less social importance 
than is generally assumed, end quote. Okay, and then McLuhan makes a comment because he's like said, okay, so Lazarsfeld, he, he gets it that, you know, radio is important and has this power and we need to understand it and such. And then McLuhan comments, Professor Lazarsfeld's helpless unawareness of the nature and effects of radio is not a personal defect, but a universally shared ineptitude. <laughs> I, McLuhan, I can figure this all out. You guys didn't notice what was going on. But that, I mean, that being the, the central problem of the media that, insofar as we're in them, insofar as we're, we're surrounded by them, it's very, very hard to become aware of the effects that they're having on us. And what McLuhan always says is, it's not, it's not just, um, the, it's not the content of what they're, they're, you know, we're saying into them. It's the fact of do, of, of the, their existing at all, right? And Kiltz and I sometimes gesture to that in our, in our conversation saying, we've just said this into the internet. It, it's not so much that that we have said these words into it, but that everything is we're feeding ourselves, our attention, your attention, into this media um, environment, and that that itself is the thing the arc has to to sail in. Okay, so here, here's to prove how um, Professor Lazarsfeld is 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 an aptitude is universally shared. In a radio speech in Munich, March fourteenth, nineteen thirty six. Hitler said, I go my way with the assurance of a somnambulist. I go my way with the assurance of a somnambulist. His victims and his critics have been equally somnambulistic, says McLuhan. They danced entranced to the tribal drum of radio that extended their central nervous system to create depth involvement for everybody. I live right inside radio when I listen. I more easily lose myself in radio than in a book, said a voice from a radio poll. The power of radio to involve people in depth is manifested in its use during homework by youngsters and by many other people who carry transistor sets in order to provide a private world for themselves amidst crowds. There is a little poem by the German dramatist Bertolt Brecht. Poem by Brecht. You little box, held to me when escaping, so that your valves should not break, carried from house to ship, from ship to train, so that my enemies might go on talking to me, near my bed, to my pain, the last thing at night, the first thing in the morning, of their victories and of my cares. Promise me not to go silent, all of a sudden. Right. So this Hitler speaking into the radio McLuhan picks up on he McLuhan does this like Kilt and I do with our our arc right in our mosaic hunting. Woo, there's a clue. Woo, there's a clue. There's Hitler talks about himself as sleepwalking in his performances on the radio. This is this is one of the things I've always it's it, it Hitler worked as a radio person. Um, uh, uh, McLuhan goes on to say, had TV occurred on a large scale during Hitler's reign, he would have vanished quickly. Had TV come first, there would have been no Hitler at all. That Hitler only worked as a radio phenomenon. If he had been seen simply on, on television, it, nothing, right? And and the, the example there is also McLuhan's talking about um, McCarthy and how um, as soon as things switched to television, McCarthy fizzled out. That, And then conversely, people like John F. Kennedy or you know Ronald Reagan, all of our modern politicians have to work on television 
or in our internet and something like that, the, the radio power is is different. And then, of course, I started thinking about how conservative talk radio was so important. And you say, okay, Rush Limbaugh had the power that he did because of radio. Be thinking about the different kind of media that we're caught up in and not necessarily the content of what's being said, but the effect of being in it and, 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 the, and the power that that has. Okay, let's see. So Hitler somnambulist, trance dance radio. Um, so then McClune goes on and he talks about that this is another passage that's helpful. Radio affects most people intimately person to person offering a world of unspoken communication between writer, speaker, and the listener. That is the immediate aspect of radio, a private experience. And I do wonder about that. If, like, if you're listening to this on a podcast and you have only my voice and no, no visuals, I don't have any pictures this week because A, I don't have my pigeon to help me read them. Um, and B, I thought, well, I'm talking about radio, so I'm gonna talk about voice. I'm gonna say solely with my voice, What's happening as you're listening to this? The subliminal depths of radio are charged with the resonating echoes of tribal horns and antique drums. This is inherent in the very nature of this medium with its power to turn the psyche and society into a single echo chamber. It, McLuhan writes in rhyme, right? So he's a danced and tranced to the tribal drum society psyche and society into a single echo chamber the resonating dimension of radio is unheeded by the script writers with few exceptions the famous orson wells broadcast about the invasion from mars was a simple demonstration of the all-inclusive completely involving scope of the auditory image of radio it was hitler who gave radio the orson wells treatment for real Right, right. You're starting to see why I do think Mr. West knew what he was talking about. Maybe not at this level because he works on a symbolic, performative, musical, mic'd up level. And I do books and read texts and think about, you know, scriptural interpretation. And it, it pow, right? For someone who can tap into this attention, one, it's terrifying, obviously, because if you haven't been thinking about it, you just say, but, but he had that power somehow the entire country went went crazy because of well it McLuhan is breaking it down for you and saying yes it's because of the media that give certain strengths extend extend certain abilities right that Hitler came into political existence at all is directly owing to radio and public address systems so everybody was actually right to be worried about the way Trump used Twitter <laughs> or the way Trump was able to be on television because he'd been practicing on that media and he was able to command it, control it in a way that other people didn't have. I mean, when you, when you see people working effectively in certain media and everybody gets mad at them and say, no, you, how dare you use this? It's well, you are, they somehow as, as um, tool users, get something of this in magic that certain of our tools have in certain ways. You can get mad at them or you can study them, right? This is not to say that these media relayed his thoughts effectively to the German people. His thoughts were of very little consequence. Radio provided the first massive experience of electronic implosion 
that reversal of the entire direction and meaning of literate Western civilization. For tribal peoples, for those whose entire social existence is an extension of family life, radio will continue to be a violent experience. Highly literate societies that have long subordinated family life to individualist stress and business and politics have managed to absorb and to neutralize the radio implosion without revolution. Not so those communities that have only brief or superficial experience of literacy. I'm not quite sure how you can say this about Germany because, I mean, they did invent the printing press. Um, so we need to think about this and whether or not this actually applies. But I think the, 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 the feeling of how did this entire country turn like that? Something to do with the way in which the, the broadcast media was, was effective and not just... Um, well, it's more than just the, the fact of monopoly. There's a Sauron level of terror in the, the feeling of being under the, the control of this media. Um, okay, so, I mean, it, 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 it's, it's interesting. He, he's claiming, for example, just prior to 1914, the Germans had become obsessed with the meaning, menace of encirclement. Their neighbors had all developed elaborate railway systems that facilitated mobilization of manpower resources. Encirclement is a highly visual image that a great novelty for this newly industrialized nation. In the 1930s, well, it is true that Germany is behind England in industrial, industrial um, development. And for example, when Engels is visiting Manchester and reporting on um, the conditions of the English working class in the 40s, he's writing to his you know, father's fellow factory owners in Germany, and they're, they're a bit behind in, in, in extension I suppose so I don't know it's, it's making me wonder more about the details of, of modern history but with this power of attending to the environment the medial environment in in the 1930s by contrast the German obsession with was was with Lebensraum this is not a visual concern at all it is the claustrophobia engendered by the radio implosion and compression of space the German defeat had thrust them back from visual obsession into brooding upon the resonating Africa within. This tribe, the tribal drums, right? The tribal past has never ceased to be a reality for the German psyche. Um, he's meditating here on, it continues to go, talking about the tribalization and the commercialization um, I think he, I think he's repeating himself here. This this radio is provided with its cloak of invisibility, like any other medium. It comes to us ostensibly with person-to-person -person directness that is private and intimate, while in more urgent fact, it is really a subliminal echo chamber of magical power to touch remote and forgotten chords. All technological extensions of ourselves must be numb and subliminal, else we could not endure the leverage exerted upon us by such extension. I mean, we do, it's like, it, in the internet context, we do feel ourselves going mad to a certain extent, and you could feel the, the, the sense of being, everything being sped up all the time now because the, the, the internet never sleeps and the, the text messages feed each other and you go to sleep and you wake up and there's a whole new flood of things to pay attention to and you're never caught up and you'd sleep. So I think in our digital moment, we can appreciate this, this feeling of, of um, acceleration, which people described in the, in the Victorian period in the 19th century with just railways and going 20 miles an hour. 
and now we go 200 miles 500 miles an hour and um, think it quote normal it's we're numbed to the the effect incarnation is terrifying anyway um so in, in, in words, in fact, it's really a subliminal echo chamber of magical power to touch remote and forgotten chords. All technological extensions of ourselves must be numb and subliminal, else we could not endure the leverage exerted on, upon us by such extension. Even more than telephone or telegraph, radio is that extension of the central nervous system that is matched only by human speech itself. Is it not worthy of our meditation that radio should be specially attuned to that primitive extension of our central nervous system, that aboriginal mass medium, the vernacular tongue. The crossing of those two most intimate and potent of human technologies, radio and the vernacular, could not possibly have failed to provide some extraordinary new shapes for human experience. So it proved with Hitler, the somnambulist. But does the detribalized and literate West Imagine that it has earned immunity to the tribal magic of radio as a permanent possession. Our teenagers in the 1950s began to manifest many of the tribal stigmata. Um, he, he, he's meditated elsewhere on the way in which the, the, the youth of the day, right, the 50s and 60s are caught up in this tribal experience. And it's like Woodstock. He's like, it's definitely tribal in the, in the folk sense. I mean, he means, he means it in the family extension um, I mean, I think also of, I'm old enough to have been a wannabe hippie, right, in college in the, in the 80s, and we were looking back to the, the, what, the 70s, listening to all the music from that period, and uh, McLuhan has this wonderful phrase of the international motley that everyone wore, that, that you know, you want to be in all the different colors and patterns, and again, Kiltz and I have talked about this, is the wanting to be in the rainbow, right, the rainbow people of color and light. Well, he's saying the radio gives to the youth of the 50s and 60s some of this feeling of being in that tribal reality, um, and it also has this effect of throwing us back into the village sense, and you remember that he's He's got the this book. My notes are dropping again. War and Peace in the Global Village. If you've heard that phrase, Global Village, before, he coined it. Excuse me while I bend over. Ooh, okay. Um, village. Radio provides a speed up of information that also causes acceleration in other media. We're super accelerated now with our internet, but we're still in this radio auditory um, experience. It certainly contracts the, contracts the world to village size and creates insatiable village tastes for gossip, rumor, and personal malice. I don't see any of that ever on the internet, do you? <laughs> but while radio contracts the world to village dimensions, it hasn't the effect of homogenizing the village quarters. Quite the contrary. In India, where radio is the supreme form of communication, there are more than a dozen official languages and the same number of official radio networks. The effect of radio as a reviver of archaism and ancient memories is not limited to Hitler's Germany. Ireland, Scotland, and Wales have undergone resurgence of their ancient tongues since the coming of radio, and the Israeli, pre and the Israeli present an even more extreme instance of linguistic revival. It's like Welsh is a language, he's saying, because now it's still alive because of the radio, and likewise Hebrew in, in Israel. 
they now speak a language which has been dead in books for centuries. Radio is not only a mighty awakener of archaic memories, forces, and animosities, but a decentralizing pluralistic force, as is really the case with all elect power, electric power and media. Okay, so hopefully mine's blown by now of the meditation. If we're paying attention to all of these effects and saying the music and the sound and the vernacular speech and the contraction and the intimacy and the gossip and, 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 and personal animosities and the, 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 this, I mean, it, it's interesting he, can, he associates this with the German feeling of claustrophobia in, in the 30s and 40s. And suddenly it doesn't feel like there's any space left because you're surrounded by all the time all of this acoustic um, input. Okay. Um, yes, so you guys are keeping up with me. This is good. Yes, uh, Silent Draco. Fascism tried recreating Rome from successor tribes in the north. That's, that's interesting. Um, uh, Silent Draco. Government of RCA, ABC, CBS. Exactly, right? And, and the the government control of the radios and the licensing of the Robert. So why with the, the de-licensing under Reagan and the conservative talk radio, everybody goes nuts, right? Because it's like radio has this, I guess, uh, if it's a tribalizing effect, then that to me explains a lot of the political dimensions that we've been experiencing. I mean, McLuhan died in 1980. So anything that we've experienced since he either predicted or we're hopefully following along with him. Casey, a radio that talks to you personally like an inner voice can fool the listener into agreement. Exactly. That, that you, the intimacy of what we hear in our earbuds, I mean, little headphones were part of the transistor radio uh, phenomenon too. So that's part of it, I suppose. Although, you know, family radios was when you had the little cathedrals, the, the cathedral sets and the whole family sits around the radio and listens to it. I, we need to experiment too with other kinds of receivers to test this um silent draco yes media is the message and becomes a self-modifying mode of its own yes exactly casey i think about fdr's fireside chats too when thinking of effective use of radio precisely and that's why we say one of the things we've been talking about the girardian doubles and twinnings and and everything that rivalry ends up making the two sides look more and more alike that the media environment homogenizes the the responses. So if FDR ends up looking like Hitler, it'll be through the media twinning, uh, the media effect, as well as the, the twinning of um, conflict. It was complicated. Um, Casey, FDR had polio. TV would have killed his career before it began because he would have projected weakness. Problematic, right? But he, he learned to, um, actually, and I think it may be in this other book that I have. I have three books tonight. Um, McLuhan does have some meditation on how FDR actually had to modify his radio performances in a way that he was very literate, but he had to use the fireside chat radio to do the kind of thing that the, the German radio was, was accomplishing. Um, but yes, that, that's part of it. Um, Silent Draco saying Hitler on TV take triumph of the will as an exponentially boosted signal. Well, so I mentioned triumph of the will in my, controversial blog post and indeed i've i we've sh some of my colleagues have used that in history of european civilization as a something to have the students study 
I mean, Triumph of the Will, Lainey Riefenstahl, that's her first, yeah. Um, she develops, you know, different kind of camera vocabularies that are still standard in modern um, film media, right? So I think everybody recognizes the significance of her directing work on Triumph of the Will. What was not persuasive to me was the actual, like, footage of the people giving their speeches. They must, I always thought, why would anybody be convinced by this? Visually, it doesn't work. It's 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 ugly and jerky, and they're not very good visual performers. So I think, in fact, that movie is one of the things that persuades me that McLuhan is right about the radio, because certain things didn't translate into the movie that apparently were very, very powerful um, otherwise. Lodi no more. Dare I say Radio Gaga? Yes, you may. You may dare say that. Okay, so we have now this tribal village acoustic vernacular intimacy um, trance dance uh, psyche society, right? McClue was Catholic and he therefore, although he, everybody, you know, studies his media studies and thinks he's just doing you know bad science which maybe he was but what he was actually doing was good mysticism in in the sense of understanding these you know the spiritual effects on of our material experience and the, the the sort of delightful culmination of this what happens so if you have this powerful microphone thing this this media radio media you know, Sauron-like can control populations, make them do horrible, terrible things. What happens when you stick a microphone in a church? <laughs> and one of the things that that um, he he points to, and this is in the Medium and the Light, his collection on on religion, um, it says. It, worrying about what happened to the Latin Mass. Remember what we said about the radio having vernacular effects. He says directly, the thing, the thing that was the the devast you know, killed the Latin Mass was not in fact Vatican II as such. It was putting a microphone on the altar, which then he he points out completely changes the relationship of the priest to the people. That you have says many people will lament the disappearance of the Latin Mass from the Catholic Church, without realizing that it was a victim of the microphone on the altar. How's that for satanic, right? <laughs> you say the radio is Sauron-like in its ability to control the populations. Well, stick a microphone on the altar and suddenly it changes the entire acoustic reality of, of the ritual. It is not practical to say Latin into a microphone since the mic sharpens and intensifies the sounds of Latin to a meaningless degree. That is, I mean, this is interesting because he had been, he'd grown up hearing the Latin mass murmured, right? That is, Latin is really a very cool form of verbal delivery in which mutter and murmur play a large role, whereas the mic does not take kindly to humming indistinctly. Another effect of the mic at the altar has been to turn the celebrant round to face the congregation. So if you want them facing the altar, take their mics away and then they'll face the proper direction to, to offer the sacrifice. By the same token, amplifiers which are placed in the church to create sounds from all directions at once make the church architecturally obsolete. But our older churches were built to be, you know, resonant of themselves, not with, you know, uh, amplified sound coming out in odd places. In a word, 
the mic makes worshipers demand an intimate and small group of participants. On the other hand, the microphone, which makes it so easy for a speaker to be heard by many, also forbids them to exhort or be vehement. The mic is indeed a cool medium. The hot and cold things is hot he means is I think he's flipped himself around because he thinks radio is hot and television is cool that cool media are ones that you have to add more to in your engagement with them and hot ones are ones that are like driving into you um, uh, very very powerfully so that this is this is my um, now hour-long monologue <laughs> thinking about um, well, one, why I thought Mr. West had something worth attending to and paying attention to because of the way people were responding to what he said, which was, you know, with the, 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 um, power of all of the tribe activated and terrified and monsters everywhere. And that he, in the course of that mentioned the microphone, I thought, okay, so he is, as a performer who's aware of media effects because he designs with them and works with them and, and, you know, intentionally uses them, something's there. So then I saw that. So then I made the comments that I did and now everybody's mad at me again. Um, I hope that this, that this gives some, some context for that. And that when I said we were in it, I didn't mean we were the good guys. <laughs> I mean, we need to be aware of the power of these, um, um, amplifiers because if we're not then the never again is not going to be very helpful because it's going to happen again and it, I do think it, it's not wrong to have paid attention in the last several years to the way in which that sauronic imposition of a reality that if you walked outside in in the sunshine was not there um, yet captured everyone and 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 drew us into what I think people are appropriately recognizing is a, is a, is a moment of war. Um, we didn't notice. And I hope now maybe if you're listening and you didn't agree with me before you have a little bit better appreciation where I was going. Um, and that this kind of, this kind of media meditation is necessary for us to survive in the complexity of the media environment that we are now inhabiting. Now in, 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 in this context, it's saying we, we often don't pay enough attention to our, our auditory, right? We're very, very visual. We're looking at screens all the time. We think it, the auditory is having a bigger effect than we are appreciating. And of course, my other favorite character, I've brought all my favorite characters in, Tolkien and McLuhan and now T.S. Eliot, whom um, McLuhan cites here at the beginning saying, uh, the Bible Belt is, is oral territory and therefore despised by the literati. The resolution, he's quoting, but I'm not sure who right there, right? The resolution of this paradox depends on noticing that literate culture has, since Flaubert and the symbolists, itself become structured by oral factors. At instant speeds of information, all structures partake of an acoustic dimension. For auditory space means hearing from all directions at once, involving many levels of awareness. Right? Many levels of awareness. The matter has been memorably put in T.S. Eliot's description of, quote, the auditory imagination. And this is um, quoting from um, Eliot. Uh, essay of Matthew Arnold. Mm -hmm. 
What I call the auditory imagination is the feeling for syllable and rhythm, penetrating far below the conscious levels of thought and feeling, invigorating every word, sinking to the most primitive and forgotten, returning to the origin and bringing something back, seeking the beginning and the end. It works through meanings, certainly, or not without meanings in the ordinary sense, and fuses the old and obliterated and the trite, the current and the new and the surprising, the most ancient and the most civilized mentality. Of course, I could keep reading McClune because he's always, he's always, there he goes on, but that's why we're writing poetry in the Dragon Common Room. That's why T.S. Eliot is one of my favorite authors. That's why we're trying to, into the internet, into this auditory, radio-like extension of our vernacular speech, the tongue, our incarnate reality, create some kind of, I mean, it's, just, it's, a, it's an arc-like fortress against the madness. We need to understand this, the trance dance that is enveloping us and, as we've seen over the last several years, perfectly capable of driving people to doing completely horrendous things to their neighbors that once they, as it were, snap out of it, they can't believe they ever would have imagined doing. Um, that's why I said what I did about what Mr. West said, and I hope now, um, having made my case, to be better understood. <laughs> I don't know whether I will be or not, but here we go. Okay, so I, I, you guys have to catch, I have to sit here and what, listen quietly a little bit. Um, start putting in your questions if you have questions and I will, I will be happy to take your questions. Okay, so Silent Draco. Ah, but the parades and converting newsreels, not live TV broadcasts of Luftwaffe overhead. Well, yes. I mean, I think they obviously, we're also in a, we can do another stream if I'm going to get in complete trouble constantly about the visual vocabulary of modernity, which was also part of my point in that blog post. But uh, Mel, boom shakalaka. Okay, good. Um, celebrity priest. Yes, the, the, the microphone creates celebrity. And uh, maybe we want to think about that a bit more. Casey, the microphone and the altar turn the priest into a performer for an audience precisely instead of, of, you know, offering up the prayers of the people and we stand there supporting them. It's better off if they don't have the microphone and that we can't hear them. It's, that's an, it's an interesting observation on McLuhan's part. Casey, I don't think the visual cue was lost on the congregations. Not at all. Silent Draco, that an amplification of choir or folk group distorts or distracts from worship. The, 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 the meditation that McLuhan is trying to get us to do is pay attention. It's like you think, oh, you can just hear better, but it changes the entire acoustic space and therefore your entire engagement with the community. It makes it more private and, um, and uh, social homogenous at the same time. Um, in, in the Middle Ages, when people are at Mass, they often have their prayer books, their books of hours that are saying their own little meditations. And the thing that the Protestants did that they were very upset about um, was that, you know, everybody needs to be praying from the same prayer book. So we have a book of common prayer so that the prayer is all common and everybody's reading from the same book. Well, the, then printing did that because the Catholics come along and do the same thing. <laughs> they standardize the breviary, they standardize the missal, they standardize the, you know, the office of the Virgin. So that printing creates that homogenized 
visual experience of the vernacular. And then McLuhan is saying the radio like retribalizes the auditory experience of the vernacular. Um, Mel, basically the altar shouldn't be treated like a theater stage. Exactly. Silent Draco. Exactly, Mel. It's the focus of the liturgy, not the source of entertainment. And this is, of course, I mean, I was first, you know, drawn to pay attention to, to Mr. West um, by Jonathan Pajot's talking about um, Kanye as a trickster in, in his performances. And the, the thing that he was doing back in 2019 with his Sunday services saying this is a mission, not a show, right? Trying to, it, it, curiously enough, unmake himself as a performer in the recognition that he was trying in his his choral performances that he was doing with the sunday the sunday group what did he call them the whatever his choirs were um that they were no longer performing that it's not the him performing to an audience but they performing together in the worship uh lodi no more lately lounge act down damn caps <laughs> Your keyboard is is taking control of your own media experience, Silent Draco. And then there are no more silent sections. Yes, Mel, liturgy is to be served out, served, not acted out. Yes, indeed. Okay, so you guys realize without without Kilts here, you guys have to be my my pigeons and and bring me things to think about. Do we have questions? Are there are there things that that okay? You you just you're just agreeing with me in the chat right now, Silent Draco. Liturgy, spoken, sung, and quiet. No need for incidental piano or organ music. Well, I mean, the interesting thing about pre-microphone music, well, with organs, right? But medieval, the medieval cathedrals are built for voices. They're built primarily for the human voice, both in, I mean, the priest's prayers and, and, and offerings for the people, but in the choir singing. And I, this past week, uh, like last week in Tolkien, we were talking about the Aina and the music of creation and the way the Einer are voices, right? The, 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 I, and I played, there's some of this in my Tolkien lectures on unauthorized. Um, but in class, I play different choices of music to say, what is it? What do you think Tolkien is thinking about musically here? And is it Beethoven? Is it um, Smetana's Mavlast? Um, is it the river music? Is it the Gloria as a, you know, Palestrina or something might sing it. Is it Hildegard and her very, um, you know, multi-layered chant uh, about the incarnation? And then I play the, the planets music and Holtz, Jupiter and things like that. It's like, if we were, we need to, I, maybe the, the, the lesson here is we've been so focused on the visual. No, no. People are saying stuff all the time. Talk radio is meant to be that thing that saved, you know, the conservative um, conversation for something else and was able to push into parts of the country that weren't, you know, on the television circuit. We do need to be attending to how our live streaming, how our podcasting, how our, our, you know, chat rooms and texting, all of these things are feeding into a spiritual experience. Okay, Casey, the movie The King's Speech explored the power of radio too. Tolkien was really onto something. Yes, that um, was Colin. Is it Colin Firth in that? That he has to learn not to stutter. So, the um, 
training the royalty to be media personalities was very and the, clearly elizabeth president elizabeth um may she rest in peace was trained for television that her father was was it her father that was in the king's speech um that he had to learn how to be on the on the radio and she had to learn it how to be on the television silent draco but with radio as universally broadcast where does the quiet space and time come for meditation well it can't i mean that's what that's i think one of the things that McLuhan's pointing to it's like the kids with their they have the radio on when they're doing their homework there's no silence at all there's never any silence Excuse me, I have no time. I've talked myself into it. I have no time for drinking. Casey, no time for meditation when you're beating the war drums. A distracted mind is a controlled mind. Silent Draco, bingo. Yeah, it's, it's, um, the, I mean, yes, if you just have drums, they fill the whole world for you. And, and McLuhan is, is right about when the radio is playing all the time. It's a kind of, it can be used as a kind of weapon too. Obviously it's be broadcast continuously and there's no silence. I have, I have thought about this, that the best thing that's happened thanks to all of our personal devices is through, you know, throughout the, the, let's see. Hmm. Okay. So I was first on a plane in the seventies. So I get some, you know, it's like I'm, 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 I'm coeval with, with air travel, mass air travel. Right on Braniff. You remember Braniff Airline? Um, and when we went on the plane then, everybody had to watch the same movie. Although you had headphones to listen to the audio, right? I think. Um, and that was always the fun part. And then over the course of what, into the 80s, 90s, by the time, sometime in, in the 80s or 90s, you end up with constant television being projected through all of the waiting areas although the movie was still so it's like their movie is on planes but then there's all of the 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 public space um television in the last decade or so since everybody has had their own private little headphone -y things they've at least turned all of that off <laughs> so in a big public space now everyone's private with their own global um, audio, but no longer are you sharing the audio with the people in the same lounge area that you're waiting in. I'm thinking about being on planes tomorrow for tomorrow, right? It's like, what what difference does it make when there's no public radio projection as opposed to all of our little private individual um, communi commu um, communities? Silent Draco, and I've been too vocal. Oops. <laughs> Silent Draco, okay. It's fine. If you're the one asking the questions, I'll read them. Question. Did talk radio alter the broadcast into narrowcast with toll-free callers? Um, I don't know about that. Uh, broadcast, narrowcast. I mean, I, uh, since I never, I was never part of the talk radio audience, I don't know. I, it's, it's been interesting that I've been, it's sort of when I got engaged with which media has been very interesting because I was early to mid early to Facebook, very early to certain things um, on like having iPads and things like that. Not so early to, I don't know, listening to live streams and, and so forth, but earlier than some, right? So you're sort of at what point do you join, join the stream, right? 
Um, Rebear Steel. Hello, Casey. What is the equivalent tool of mass control today? iPhone, socials? Um, well, which is it, right? Everyone was worrying that it was Twitter, the social media, but specifically Twitter, right? It's like it didn't that it, it's been so interesting to me that the, the journalists focused on Twitter rather than Facebook, because I guess Facebook was was originally collected around your own individual little friend networks, whereas Twitter was, the premise was it was more broadcast. Um, I, we're, 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 we're sort of in a, in a medieval moment of lots of little um, communities, villages of our social media now because I mean, it's, as far as I can tell, nobody's really on Facebook except as, as, as the kind of most bland public square you can be in. So they, they achieved that if they wanted it. Um, and all the real conversations are going on obviously in other, in other platforms. Um, but yeah, I to do a poll. Is there, in fact, any single media that everyone's listening to anymore? Obviously, not really. I mean, nobody goes to the movies. We all stream. You get to, you know, stream historic films now. So you're not dependent on what what's being released presently. I'm not sure. It does that mean we're safe from Sauron? I don't. I don't think so. I think Sauron's always out there with the new Ring version, probably. Okay, uh, Mel McLuhan said that to break away from the media, TV. Imagine our tech people would have violent withdrawal. Probably. I mean, so we've seen. I, I, I now I can't remember whether Kilton and I've talked about this. These media are very absorptive, and and in our Draco Alchemicus writing, we're thinking about how they're very addictive. And obviously when people get chopped off of them and get deplatformed and no longer can get whatever kind of attention we feel like we're getting in these these reciprocal um, media, I'm very glad you guys are talking to me right now. It's devastating. You're, you're being cut off from something. And I mean, physiologically, it's dopamine, attention, things like that. But I think McLuhan would also go so far as to say you're like you're losing a part of your nervous system when when you're cut off from these technologies. Insofar as we've trained ourselves into them, I mean everybody's worried about you know the AI, but we're we're always training ourselves into our use of media. I mean I'm like shaped like a reader. You know don't sit. I need to sit up straight and I can't see and things like that because so much of my life I spent reading. Um, to be cut off from reading would be quite devastating for me um, as well, I think. Um, okay. Silent Draco narrow casts in terms of going to one segment and asking for feedback. Silent Draco, I have an E.E. E. and comms background. Okay, so you know more about this than I do. <laughs> um, Mel, withdrawal like heroin. Well, withdrawal like, I mean, most of what we want as human beings is social interaction, frankly. Um, and so the worst, you know, the worst deplatforming, the Athenians invented it's ostracism. You get thrown out of the city. The city as a te as a technological as a, as a technology for bringing people together to be in in community with each other to have conversations. And it's like 
that's what we live for and the 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 you know heroin and all of these the, the other drugs are simulating positive experiences we get otherwise from each other so yeah uh Casey, I think Twitter's appeal was its brevity. No need to provide context or sources. You know, even though I enjoy I enjoy being on Telegram, which is well, actually, you can do it different links on Telegram. Twitter, I mean, there's a challenge in being brief and, and sort of being gnomic and and blurty, right? And if I can if I can craft it exactly right, so I think it got I think probably fed into some of the. The wordsmithing, certainly that's why Milo enjoyed it, I think, is the wordsmithing gnomic phrases that capture people's attention. Um, Casey, Saren never rests. No, he doesn't. Silent Draco, there's a thought too. It's the company's owning product or owning the throttles that, con that control media, that have the control levels in hand. Well, so we our, our radio meditation is made Sauron effective because of the broadcast and i think you know the, the the way the way that the characters in the story respond to this problem of being seen it's like it, it's interesting it's visual but it's still a control of the mind which my guess is tolkien is is recognizing radio control without quite quite just uh, consciously describing it um casey twitter's little hits of information hits your dopamine center what context Give me another hit. Yeah, I mean, I have dopamine context for information. Absolutely right. So, oh, that's, you know, that's, that thing goes with this thing. And, and I, you know, I think people also enjoy Twitter. The few times I've been in Twitter battles, right? They, they can be very immediate. They feel kind of public, but you don't know quite how many people are watching. And, and there's a rapidity of response that can get quite, you know, Shakespearean in its, its desire for repost. So there's definitely that. Mel, a crazy anxiety detached from what is currently at our fingertips. Yes. Um, I'm trying to make myself aware of this. I've, I've managed to break myself a variety of addictions over my life, including smoking when I was in grad school. And I recognize, so when I stopped smoking, then I started eating chocolates or Tootsie Rolls particularly. Um, then I got myself off the Tootsie Rolls and I ended up on social media. So, you know, there's that we were watching my my former colleague peter novick may he rest in peace in a, in a lecture and he was a great smoker and he always whenever he was talking he couldn't smoke he was always like rubbing his fingers together because he was like it's you know there's the, the the need for that that um tactility and and engagement and response and and something like that and i realized that you know surrounded by fidget toys when i'm not um well, I, I, I put my fidget toys down because I realized it doesn't look great on camera to be fidgeting with stuff, but you get, I, I, I'm fidgeting stuff with all the time. So there's a kind of physical engagement as well as the mental stimulation that goes with it. Um, Silent Draco, one ring to bring them all and in the darkness find them. Tolkien knew or predicted much about any electromagnetic medium. Well, I, th you know, I think it's, he trained as a signal officer. He was, you know, trained in language. He thought about language and acoustics all the time. He thought about the way phonemes gave pleasure. He, you know, he said he had languages tasted different to him, but he also describes them in terms of having 
and 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 also in his in his um, not alphabet his phonetic script thought about the um, acoustic shape of languages all the time but as a signal officer he was trained in all these other ones morse code pigeons <laughs> he trained in parrot carrier pigeons so if anybody was sensitive to media and language effects surely it was Tolkien, right? We need to put Tolkien and McLuhan and Girard together into our great mix of, of insight and explanation and that they're all thinking on these multiple levels um, about what mimesis, representation, building up, right? We're getting it together, okay. Um, Twitter battles, that reminds me of Tweedle Beetles from Dr. Seuss. <laughs> okay, Tweedle Beetle battle. Oh, that tongue twister. Okay, Mel. The current media, I think, is leading to natural resource exploitation by influencers and no more serenity. Crowded trailheads and photo op selfie hunters. Hmm. Okay, can you say more on that? I know you guys are limited on the chat and, and how much you can type in one go, but... Um, It, you know, whenever there's a there's a photograph, there's someone with a camera, and that one being I, I again now I'm, I'm feeling happy and, and and sort of thoughtful about myself that on my Telegram posted a picture of my studio setup here before I went online because I was thinking about the way my orange ring looks sort of Sarani like that I talk into the ring <laughs> in order to make these videos um, that. One of the other things that Tolkien was very, very conscious of always was the framing for stories that he, you know, in his writing of his stories, always gives a storyteller. He's always framing them and how the manuscript was was transmitted, you know, from this storyteller to that copyist through this family and so forth, that we are not just conscious of the media effects that we're inhabiting, but also of our use of the media to frame experiences so that they look unframed. I mean, of trying to keep the frame active and, and um, in your attention as I'm talking tonight so that we're saying, yes, we are aware of the way we interact with these media and how they create the experience, even as we're trying to pretend they're not there as a framing device. Um, Yeah, so it's Silent Drake, Acadia National Park, 3 million plus visitors a year. I do always wonder when, you know, the it's like the influencers and such are trying, always trying to get away from everybody. It's like you're trying to get away from everybody in order to show people where you're, you are. <laughs> we're out in the wilderness, as you're saying, Mel, and yet you're taking pictures so that the world can be watching you where you're out in the wilderness. It's, it's ironic. Hmm. Oh, yes, McLuhan definitely has something to say about that. Uh, Silent Draco overburdened because the morning TV shows discovered it. Yes, yes. Casey, interesting, Mel. Authority seeds ground to visual radio community seeds ground to self-promotion. Mel, these nomadic traveler remote workers who don't plant roots. Okay, so now this is, this is, this is getting to mosaic level mosaic arc level problem of um, McLuhan was was thinking with the radio about how it becomes so private and 
our personal media, our iPhones and our iPads and our me on a live stream talking to you guys whom I can't see, um, is very solipsistic because it's like I'm talking to a mirror. <laughs> I have my, my, my iPad mirror that I'm looking at to read your all's chats in mirroring me, which is myself. I mean, the influencers in our, in our Act 1 coming soon Kickstarter, J. Carl Chemicus poem, we have some characters that are influencers. And we've been trying to think about, you know, when, why, why we cast the characters that we did. Won't totally spoiler all of it. But um, that, that, that sense of being under the influence of personalities out there somehow in the media is so powerful. It's, defi it's defining of our moment tele from television into the internet, into projection into screens. So that I, as little me and my little back room here in, in, in my, my home can be an influencer with a platform that maybe some people will be upset with me for having simply because <laughs> I practiced in this media. And yet here I am, I, I, one, I was realizing I was gonna be by myself and I didn't like that because I'd be talking about myself. And as I was thinking about topics for tonight, it's like, what will I talk about? What will I talk about? And it, it, a lot of them turned into, oh, I wanted like, do something justifying myself, which I have actually by way of saying, I wrote that blog post and so now I need to worry about who I am in the media. For goodness sake, why is it all about me? I didn't want it to be about me. I was gonna talk about the radio and Sauron. Kilts, where are you? Please come back, pigeon. Okay. Um. Yeah, you guys help me so I'm not solipsistically talking to myself. <laughs> hilarious. Absolutely hilarious. Casey, people want to dive into the audiovisual like it's their home, the place they'll receive love. Okay, that, that, right? Now we're getting there because um, you are here with your personal devices. It's very, I mean, this, the influencers and the live streamers and stuff obviously use this i mean it's like i so i like i do watch for example paul joseph watson and it's interesting i've seen his studio setup because sometimes he shows you it and it's, he's sitting there in front of his uh monitor so that he can look at the stuff that he's working off of and he's staring straight at the screen and it, the way he frames himself and the the intimacy of the framing you sit there you look at it on your you know video device like i am with mine here and it's very personal it's 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 very much I'm there with you and of course you're not I mean it's 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 even more so than I mean television personalities obviously had this experience in in people thinking that they were their own families and, and so forth with sitcoms but now you are you can privately talk to your camera and project this sense of one-on-one -on -one engagement with however many people will watch your YouTube videos. It's, I can understand why the younger um, generation's gotten so caught up in it. It's very, very uh, captivating. All right, from River Run to projecting ourselves into the air, and now we need air traffic controllers. <laughs> so the thing, I don't think this is the air um that's radio okay so this is what's interesting radio was actually was the air because the i guess wasn't it how was it it did trans it has to transmit 
electromagnetic waves through the air, right? However they propagate. We need ethers ourselves. Um, whereas, as I understand it, the internet travels mainly by fiber optic cables. Is that true? Somebody who knows tech stuff? Um, I don't know, right? How much of this is air and how much of it is light? Um, simply light through glass. And, and that, what McLuhan would understand is that affects the way the media affects us um, in, in, in the, the way it extends, right? The internet extended in um, uh, wires or, or glass, the fiber optics, is this very much nervous extension as opposed to an auditory... I don't know. We need to think about more about that. Um, Casey, I feel your pain. Clinton knew how to manipulate media. Well, and okay, so w one, there's the manipulation of the media, and then there's also what McLuhan was saying about the radio, that it taps back into that primal technology of the vernacular tongue, right? Just literally our tongues, that our, our primary manipulative media is our speech. And that, you know, the ancient rhetoricians understood this and trained themselves to manipulate people. Clinton, as far as I understand, Clinton was actually even better at it in person than he was on television. So that in the political arena, he was very capable of manipulating people into, when he met them, feeling that they, he was like deeply there with them. I, I didn't get the sense that he was that great at, at on television, but he was even better at it in person. Um, Casey, you made everything personal. I and your yes. So he, there is just pure rhetoric. He's he's able to use the his pronouns powerfully. Casey, fiber optic cables, light through glass, but it's buried underground. Ooh, yes, underground light. Oh my gosh, Casey, you're you're on fire tonight. This is really good. Okay, silent. Casey, you guys have to recognize she's one of my background. She's she's. Casey and Mel are, are, are um, behind the scenes power, right? Mel makes all of our, our clips for us and Casey and, and Mel both work with Kilts and me on our, our poem. So there, there's, some, there's some energy here tonight. This is good. Silent Draco, fiber optic or copper cables to transmit. Goes everywhere with radio for the last Wi-Fi gap. Okay, so it's hybrid. The hybrid with copper and glass and the Wi-Fi at the end. That that's a that's a that's a kind of terrifying hybridity of transmission. I mean, tell oh, I guess telegraph was more purely electrical, right? It's like it goes simply through the electrical cables, the underwater cables, along the telegraph wires to the to the to the um, receiver. So it's a simpler, and, and also, you know, the, the sense of the Morse code and such. I'm, I'm, you know, Kilta's going to watch this and she's going to have ideas and we're going to come back to you with more meditations on the way our media are affecting us. Hmm. Okay. I'm waiting for you guys to catch up with me <laughs> in time, not not thoughts, because I think 
I think we're now, yes, Casey, don't put your light under a bushel. Maybe we should rethink our addiction to fiber optic. Well, this is, I mean, I'm, I'm hyper aware of the, the effect of being in the light. I mean, I, I sort of, one of the meditations I've had um, about going to this tournament tomorrow that I, I started with, right, saying it's been all of these years since I've competed in the fencing tournament. We're going to be hooked up to, you know, the electric signal box of the foil, whether or not I hit my opponents in their target areas or not. Um, that in the years that I've not been fencing, I had actually started doing live streams in 2017 with my friends in Three Craters. So I've been online in the live stream before all of the lockdown happened and before I didn't get to fence. But in the time that I've been not fencing, we've upped my tech here so that I have better light in the room and then I have better light on my face. And then it's like the camera has more to capture and that I have this illusion of daytime, even though I'm usually recording at night. Um, and the, the powerful effect of looking into this light for however long I'm sitting here talking to you, it, I wonder, right. It's like, I wonder what, what kind of, um, I don't know. I do feel happier afterwards. So, you know, it's like, is it just like sunlight? Is it, is the fake light, the sad, I, I got through winter looking at a, at a ring of light so that I'm, I'm not sad anymore that I'm, I'm, I'm imagining there. Um, I mean, light should be, um, simply good, right? Like I get, but like fire, but obviously staring too much into the light there's a, there's a, okay, so that's a funny, that's a funny thought off of the top of my head. There's a, an improv theater group here in Chicago that called itself too much light makes the baby go blind. <laughs> and I say too much light on my own, improving by myself with only chat to go on and not a per another person to talk to. I hope it doesn't make me like lose insight tonight, but that, that's a sort of funny problem. Silent Draco, YouTube or podcast? Those are narrow cast examples. Go to one segment of people. Oh, okay. Now I understand it. All right. So broadcast goes out to all the population with receivers. And, and you're saying YouTube or podcast only go to those that tap into it, right? So it's a connection. You have to make the immediate connection to get into it. Silent Draco. It's all driven by the dynamos, electric signal or laser repeaters and fiber optics. Well, interestingly that you bring up the dynamo, because that is one of our, you know, my persistent meditations in the spiritual world that uh, Henry Adams famously has. I don't know how many times I've said it, but I'll say it again. When he goes to the Paris exhibition in 1900, specifically um, when he's, you know, one of the things about the Paris exhibition is has this great, uh, palace of electricity which has you know colored lights and lights and oh there's lots of color you know the electric lights in the 19 1900 were the thing and henry adams he's there on a tour of france with one of his friends and they go to the the hall of the dynamo the dynamos doing the, the electric generation and he he starts meditating on the power things the generating power of this spinning wheel and how you might end up praying to it, the electric dynamo. And then his friend and he go off and tour the cathedrals of, of the region, and he, he compares the power of this generating dynamo with 
the spiritual force of the, the Virgin Mary in, um, you know, anim animating the Christians of, of 13th century France to build the beautiful cathedrals to her. And his, his phrase is, is recognizing, it's like, we in the modern world, we worship, we worship, you know, nearly worship the electrical generators. We have no capacity at the present to understand the sheer spiritual force that the Virgin had in building those cathedrals. And he says all the steam in the world could not, like the Virgin, build shot. That she, as a force, something, right, the symbolic force, we need to, said, 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 had greater force for, you know, the human soul and also our physical expression of beauty than the electrical dynamos and yet we worship that kind of power rather than um the spiritual force so i mean one one you know sort of terrifying idea is that the the the, the electric transmission that we're participating in in for example live streams like this is sucking life force out of us it's like you want you want to have this sense that it's giving back right that i'm looking looking into you all your experience and i get back from you and certainly some live streamers seem to do that it's like if you pay attention to me i get you know vampirically like suck suck your life out but on the other hand i also know i'm going to be tired after this and so i'm giving to the internet my physical um energy to manifest myself into this media and then who who am i am i drained or am I fed? Casey, Lucifer, the bringer of light and now prince of the air. Freaky. Yeah. Noah, Casey. Whoa. <laughs> no, you're right. Mel, it's so funny it, that you have so many emojis in your in your signature so that every time you post, they, they multiply. <laughs> so there is also, I mean, I think for, for McLuhan, there would be the sort of effect of the multiplying... Um, characters that we participate in, obviously these these hieroglyphic multiplications, but we're, we're definitely there. Yes. Okay, so I do recognize why live streamers at this point say, oh, "What do you guys want to talk about?" It's like I can't. I, I need to. I need some feedback. Keep 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 generate. So let me see whether anybody in the, is is watching enough or watching on. Uh, Telegram for me too. Okay, if I look in my Telegram feed, I see myself repeated. Let's see whether anybody in my chat is 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 talking to me. Oops. A sec. I don't know how to get there. There we go. Okay. All right. <laughs> okay. So Chris, like, actually, um, in my Telegram chat, has now animated my Sauron-like eye and has has therefore. Okay, Diana, I'm, I'm now finally seeing you. She says, where is Dr. Arfi answering questions from? Um, I'm in the unauthorized chat, which is where I usually have my chat, but now that I'm, I'm alone and being able to answer multiple devices, I can see you. Um, I've seen most organs are in the back of the church, and what am I hearing is that churches were built acoustically beautiful so the people in the back can hear the homily. Boomers prefer Facebook. I still love going to the movies. Well, all this is good. Um, that the, the churches like Chartres were originally built just for voices, although there are organs in the Middle Ages, they're little. Uh, the magnificent organs that you think of Bach 
music playing on or, or later so that they're, I think, really in his life, 17th century, right? And if they were installed in older churches, then that you could say it's just as bad as a microphone. And some people thought they were, that they disturbed the acoustics that people were used to in those structures. Um, wild herb ways. Okay, question. What do you think is the effect on the small group family attending exclusively the traditional Latin mass in an SSPX chapel? Positive, negative. I think going to church is positive. Um, I think um, participating in a parish so that you're worshiping regularly with the same people is good. And um, it's, you know, the, the greatest life is in worshiping with your neighbors. Uh, Tolkien always says you should... Um, go to he tells us one of his sons like you go to church with people that you're embarrassed to be in church with this is after vatican ii i think too women in trousers um i think consistency in place of worship so that we don't become spiritual tourists matters a lot and i think the people that are worried about um those of us who prefer the latin mass not participating in our parish that's what they're concerned about so I say go worship regularly with your neighbors if you can. No easy. I got myself off Tootsie Rolls and then I got on social media. RFB. You can make me a meme for that, please. Right. Dynaprints. Lots of dopamine, which is why we have mad trads. I thought the internet with the 5G antennas was in the air like radio, which is why so many people believe 5G is dangerous, causing cancer-causing radiations. I'm not sure. Um... I think any media that we are in regular contact with can probably have bad effects on us, books included. So I, I, I yeah, I, I've also seen people that actually do know stuff technically about radios and say, no, there's something, there's no danger with them. Re addicted to fiber optics. Oh, this is, I've got some maps, different connection types explained. You guys have to look at my telegram chat tonight too. From a letter received today informing me that our area is now eligible to upgrade to FTTP fiber to the premises by the NBN, National Broadband Network. We've still been on copper. Okay. Oh, man. That's a lot of wires. Mel Wigan. Okay. Where is Dr. Eric B. answering questions from? Right here, right now. Right. I've, 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 I've finally managed to incorporate the telegram into it. We are trying to encourage people to subscribe to Unauthorized TV. So, you know, um, you can participate in the community on Social Galactic as well and not just on Telegram. But maybe we have to cross we have to cross the cross the channels and, and bring because most of the people in Unauthorized are also in, in Telegram, but not all. Not all. I think Silent Draco is just in, in um, Unauthorized um, Gaming. Uh, Dynaprints. What do you think is the reason that gaming is so addictive to Zoomers, especially male Gen Z? Oh, picture of the central nervous system. Yes, that's it. Okay, so gaming, that's a good question. Um, it's social. I, I think that the, the gaming, gaming for Zoomers is intimate and social and engaging and um, technically challenging. Um, I think they're exercising themselves in skills of wit and dexterity, I think they should be out on the fencing strip <laughs> and doing something physical. But games are designed to be, you know, sort of challenging spaces where you test yourself. And that is something men have always enjoyed doing. Um, I, I find uh, I find gaming neutral in, in, a, in a sense of 
whether or not it's good or bad for your soul. I do worry um, when, um, you know, that gaming is your entire social life. On the other hand, I'm on Telegram a lot. Um, I, I, I saw a, a, a really funny um, little video that I, I posted on my Telegram this morning where a young man is playing a video game to train himself to be in a social situation and some of his friends are coming and saying, let's go to this party. And it's like, no, I'm playing this game about how to be in a social situation. <laughs> the internet is, is, you know, as real as the conversation in books is as real as, um, you know, the conversations that we've had in all of our different media, we are incarnate and we should be in com in conversation with each other physically in our true bodies and not just through our, our technological media. So everybody get a dog and go talk to your neighbors in the dog park. Um, uh, Chris says game design has been optimized by dopamine hit addiction now and reached them while their brains had no defenses. Yes. And that's the thing is people used to worry about, um, you know, young people reading all the time too. So like novels, they're bad for you because you know, they're, I mean, in the night, in the 18th century, they, you know, often got a little racy and um, sometimes very racy and sometimes truly really pornographic. And therefore it was a problem if you were reading The Monk or something like that, which I haven't read, so I don't know, but maybe that. Clarissa, probably, I haven't read it. Um, we seem to make our technology addictive. And I think, Oscar Wilde, uh, that th the reason it's addictive is we are we want to engage with each other. And we want to engage intimately with each other. We want to engage um, in challenging situations with each other, obviously. So we keep making extensions of ourselves to do that. And, uh, you know, it's just like the, the most addictive thing that we have. I've said this earlier in the stream. The most addictive thing that we have as human beings is each other <laughs> and being engaged with each other and any anything that you know substitutes for that and draws draws us away from that engagement with each other obviously we look at and say well those people have lost out um maybe the highest addiction or the highest engagement we should have is with a creator and in love with um you know he who so loved us that he entered into our own media you know taking on incarnate um, character in entering into the word, into our media environment, probably into our electronic media environment, if we can pay attention to it. And all of this takes training not to be trapped and, and distracted by. We've done previous, Kilton, I've done previous conversations on the intersands, the inter, you know, the demons of the intersands and are being involved in this this particular internet media, it's kind of our training ground, right? It's where we are. Um, yeah. So, okay. Dinah, Zoinks, okay, okay. We'll get the subscription. Thank you. <laughs> I'm just so overwhelmed with so many logins to so much on the internet, so many doors and entries to so many pages. Well, yes, that's, it's, 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 a, it's, it's a, so many different corridors to go down. I get it. But for you, I will, t I will, because to your point, I did feel ostracized when raising the questions there. Aha! Okay, so I'm glad to have met and just demonstrated the problem. And and yes, when I when I post and say unauthorized is with the chat, that's because usually 
usually when I have kilts to, to, to try to interact with at the same time as all of the rest of you, I can't re look at all my devices. So we've focused mainly on the unauthorized chat um, to, to, to answer your question. But I'm, thank you for your questions today in the, in the, um, in the Telegram chat. Uh, okay, I'll go back to the unauthorized chat for a minute. Maybe maybe I'll get good enough to be read both, but I, I do want to encourage people to join unauthorized. Um, yes, Mel, August, queen of the heavens, heavenly sovereign of the angels, thou who is from the beginning, has received from God the power and the mission to crush the head of Satan. Defend us, guard us, amen. Within this media as well, because she, as our ark, guides us through the internet in, in, in this, this conversation. Um, novel was supposedly especially bad for women in the 19th century. Well, yes, especially if you're getting racy stuff about, you know, what's going on in the court, like in the Bridgerton that I've been watching. <laughs> um, listen to the, Casey, listen to this disembodied voice on the radio, watch the prickling lights of the TV, ignore life, a demon might say. That's the danger. Um, I think, you know, we can get distracted by each other too. So, Focus on God, and that keeps us focused um, on life. Silent Draco, yes. The most dangerous thing is to shut off the TV and ignore the dynamo, but ad lumen Christos. Casey, I have a mild Gutfeld monologue addiction. Well, <laughs> okay. So, that was the, the, the meta level was a lot of fun, and I hope... I hope I've made my case in my little solipsistic monologue on the radio and, and sorrow and likeness. And the problem that Kiltz and I have been trying to think our way through to share with you all as a journey on this wild rollicking ride that we call the live stream with our arc as um, a place hopefully that we can keep from drowning in. And we do believe that we, we we do that by way of staying with Christ and and staying staying with um, the framing that He's given us for our understanding. So thank you for joining us. Thank you, Silent Draco. Thank you, ma'am. Enlightening. I hope so. Oh, look, Yang Z, a super chat. Thank you very much. Solipsism forgiven. Ciao, bellissimo. Right. Thank you so much for joining me, everyone. And I'll find that pigeon and get her back here next week. Good night.